to Creation Station Monthly. I'm Bob from Creation Station. Today's our monthly episode where we talk to two separate creators, two people that are out there creating, building, making something in the world, and we talk to them about what makes them tick, what got them into this field, and why they like to create. Yeah, we use that word a lot around here. Um, so let's get right into it today. Um, we've got two uh, people for Duke Coding. Um, one, Ryan Hack. Ryan, welcome. How are you doing today? Oh, I completely messed up my name. It's supposed to be Ryan Hall. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is Ryan Hall. I, yeah. I, I apologize for that, Ryan. I, I know it's Ryan Hall, and I saw the, the that is That is hilarious. Thank you, sir. And yeah. Chloe, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm good, and I just assumed that Ryan Hawk was Ryan Hall's superhero identity. So I was feeling bummed out that I did not wear my Captain Marvel dress. Now that would have been awesome. So to get started today, um, if anybody who hasn't seen our previous episodes, we get two creators and we just talk and go back and forth in a conversation about why we're creative and stuff like that. This is not a, uh, so you're not going to learn coding today, so don't, don't worry about that. But actually, that's one of the things I want to start off with is because Chloe doesn't even call it coding. Tell us, tell us. Um, so I call it computer magic. Um, on Twitter, until very recently, my display name was Machine Age Knife Magician. Um, and the reason for this is I, I honestly believe, first of all, coding, programming, whatever you want to call it, it's a creative pursuit. Um, and it is a creative pursuit, not just in the sense of creative, like art is creative because I, I feel creative. Literally, you are creating something. At the end of writing code, just like at the end of writing a book or painting a picture, you have given birth to a work. And I call it magic because what we do with code is we take this thing in some foreign language, in some big dusty tome, even if that dusty tome is now on the internet in wiki form, and we interpret it and we dig out the secrets of creation and then we put them into our magic box and we run some power through them, literally electricity going through glass and metal. And on the other side, we have not just a static creation like a book or a painting, we actually have a, a little thing that can go out and interact and do other things. And if that's not magic, I don't know what is. All right. Beautiful. My gosh, I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, I love this is part of the reason why I love language and I love teaching coding because I do a lot of workshops teaching uh, kids and adults how to actually code and build their own businesses and that's that's essentially what we're doing it's it's literally like and it if you study like actual magic and the, the reasoning behind magic magic is language and if you go back to like the entomology of the words in magic like a grimoire which is supposed to be a journal uh for spells it's supposed to be grammar a spell to simply spell, to make a spell is to spell. So when we talk about building things and being a coder or a programmer, you're, you're an internet magician. <laughs> and the funniest part of it is everyone every day is already doing this magic all the time. If they're conversing with another human being, if they're engaging in a share of knowledge through language, they're doing magic. Um, I hope that doesn't like, you know, get us protested by anti-magic groups, uh, but surprise, talking is magic. What, it is wait, the abstract which, which, manipulation which of which, symbols. 
Which of the expansion packs are we talking about? <laughs> um, but see. ultimately, right? It, magic yeah. is this manipulation of symbols to make another exactly. effect, which is what language is. So we are all doing magic all the time. And I think losing the wonder of that and like boiling it down to this dry, mechanical, terrible grinding existence, like. I don't want to be Neo at the beginning of the Matrix. I want to be Neo when he's dodging the bullets. Thank you. You want to be like Neo, like when, when your code works well. <laughs> that one. <laughs> so tell us, Ryan, how'd you get into this whole process, and where where when did you start? Was this something that you just grew up messing around with computers? I mean, I'm old enough that I was messing around on a Vic twenty, um, and learning how to program things before there were tape drives. Um, but when did you get started? Where did you go? And then Chloe, you just you just fill right in after him. Yeah, I mean, my process for getting into the world of tech wasn't a straight path. I, I didn't know I wanted to do tech when I was a little kid. Uh, of course, I played around on my computer and I played a whole bunch of video games as a kid, and I thought it was super cool and super fun. Uh, around the time I was in high school, I did a lot of stuff around tech. I didn't necessarily just focus on, on coding. And I think that was really helpful for me because uh, I, had, I went to an awesome school and I explored a lot of different avenues in tech. I, uh, I took a, what was it? I, it was like a, a, it was a specific elective that went through a whole bunch of digital stuff. So I learned everything from Photoshop. I learned some of the very basic stuff for uh, game programming and animation. Uh, and of course I did learn a little bit of programming for building websites, but that, that wasn't my focus. And then I ended up going off and uh, I joined the school's tech team. Um, and I was essentially doing stuff with hardware where I was like fixing all the computers all around the school and, and installing smart boards in the middle school. Uh, so I, I ended up like reformatting and fixing like hundreds of computers over one summer. So I was doing like all this awesome stuff and having fun hopping from project to project uh, until I found stuff that I was like really interested in. Um, and I actually focused a lot more on uh, social media, funny enough. And uh, after I started getting into social media, I actually got my first job after I dropped out of college, surprisingly. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> my first job was actually working as a social media manager for a coding and startup nonprofit where they were teaching kids uh, who were running their own business how to code. And I saw these these kids who were given like the the right uh, the right mentorship and the right resources and what they could do when they're given all this amazing stuff. And they were like kids who were like 16, 17, 18 who were running like full-fledged businesses. There was one kid who was building uh <laughs> was building custom laptops and uh pcs for uh, people and each like laptop and computer he was building the rigs were like anywhere between like two to six thousand dollars uh he were then i met somebody else who was making like custom lowrider bikes and they had all these awesome ideas and we were basically giving them the skills and tools to take these and create their own websites to help augment their businesses and from then I actually ended up learning the curriculum and over time I started uh, coding myself. 
I started uh, as a teaching assistant, then I ended up becoming a programming instructor for them. I became a lead programming instructor, teaching all these classes. And then eventually I ended up becoming the program manager, overseeing and creating programs, teaching uh, kids, teens, and senior citizens how to code and build businesses. And I was like, how I fell into it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, first of all, that's awesome. Second of all, those kids are amazing. Um, oh, yeah, they were. Just before I before I get into my story, I just want to take like a second to just one of the things I've been really fortunate as a working engineer is to get to participate in programs where kids are learning to code like this, where like, you know, they've got a business and they're learning to do a website or um, while I was in New York, I got to be involved with um, some young tech women's programs where they would bring high school students in you know, and have them sit with you, like literally while you're doing your day-to-day -day job, you know, and they're working on projects and you get to like chat with them and mentor them a little bit. And like the thing that constantly floors me is that they walk in with the most creative ideas and creative perspectives and just ways I never would have thought about looking at things that like, honest to goodness, if I could just work with teenagers the rest of my life, that would be amazing. Um, and I think part of that is because I came to tech in a very non-traditional way. Not that there is a traditional way. Um, I think at this point, the number of people I know who graduated from a CS program is like 2% of the working engineers I know. Um, but I, I have a terrible story. When I was in high school, I had just played Tomb Raider. That dates me. Um, first time I had ever played a video game where the physics of the world were like the physics of the world I lived in. If you jumped across a chasm and you did not guess it correctly, you were going to plummet to your death and she was going to scream on the way down. And that was amazing. Um, and so we had this career fair at school and here I am and I'm, I'm like 17 and I'm very optimistic and I'm very hype. And a teacher asked me what I want to do. And I'm like, I want to go make video games. And she looks at me and she says, you are terrible at math. You should do something softer. And like that went right to the heart of me. And so before I go any further, I'm just going to say, I don't care when you are watching this tape, whether it is live, whether it is six months from now, whether it is five years from now, whether it is 20 years from now, if someone says that to you, you look up my email, you let me know and I will come have a conversation with them because that, that is not something you should ever say to someone who expresses a dream. I took a little detour. Uh, I tried a number of careers. Uh, one of my favorites and that I think contributes to my code experience all the time is I was a DJ for a while. Um, so I played at clubs and it was a ton of fun. And you learn a lot about solving complex problems when you have to beat match two remixes you have never heard before. Um, eventually I was working in a customer service position at a grocery store and the engine literally fell out of my car in a parking lot. It was one of those days where if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. A friend of mine reached out to me and was it like, you falls out of the car. Yes. So engines are bolted into your car with bolts and these bolts are made of steel and steel rusts. And it turns out that if the bolts rust, gravity will pull the engine out of your car and leave it on the ground. That is a real and so we went into software happen. engineering and not physical engineering because of this. Um, well, it turns out uh, you have to get licensed for physical engineering. Ah, 
this is you have to actually go to real college as opposed to getting to learn from documentation and people who've gone before you and uh the intensive program that I went to, I got in, a friend was like, I think you'd be a great programmer. I was like, no way, I'm bad at math. She was like, try it, let's find out. Uh, long story, very short, she was right. I went to a computer intensive program in Seattle. I then interned with a major company that I will not name because I might wanna trash talk them later. <laughs> um, and then I got into the industry. Um, and first I got to work in a media company. I um, I did technology for journalists, which was like the culmination of a dream for me. So like I graduated my program and within 16 months, like I had already achieved and I was like, oh God, what do I do now? Um, and it turned out that the next thing was to go into engineering leadership. Um, so I am currently the lead of a team that works on product delivery, um, which is a really weird thing when you say it like that. Um, but we make software to help people use our software. And that is just for me, like the pinnacle. Um, I got into engineering and I like my, my statement of intent was always, I want to make hammers for carpenters. I don't want to build Facebook. I want to build a street so that you can go build Facebook because you've got the idea and I don't, but I know a lot about pipes and paving. Um, and so uh, getting to work where I work currently on infrastructure software is just like, again, the pinnacle of a dream. I keep like checking these things off and like, okay, well, where do I go next? Um, but the nice part of engineering is that where do I go next is always a question. There is always something else I can do with code or I can teach someone to do with code or I can help someone do with code. Um, so I never have to be worried that I'm gonna be out of stuff to do. How do you feel, how do you two feel about the idea of like AI taking over that coding part? Where does the creativity, the human creativity, like you were saying, of being able to look and build and do versus the drudge work of, okay, I need to do this and build this out here, hire an AI to, to write the actual code to do this kind of thing. Where do you guys think that's coming down the pike for this? I don't oh think my actually, gosh. Yeah. Do you want to, you want to take Chloe? Because, yeah, I, I think we're both very strongly opinioned about that. I'm, I'm going to throw a real like match at the trash can here. Um, and I'm going to say that that is thinking about the problem entirely the wrong way. Um, to me, that is like asking how much of this code are you going to write and how much of this code are you going to force your children to write as their chores? Um, there is a difference between automating away the drudgery of the job, which I do every day as an engineer. I write scripts to keep me from having to push buttons all the time but in my opinion first of all we're not developing ai to be slaves like to go out and solve problems that are too boring or stupid for us like that is the, that is the wrong way to think about trying to create create intelligence um but on top of that if you can automate it it does not need intelligence to be applied to it intelligence is a thing you apply to solving problems not templatable tasks, right? The intelligence is figuring out, I can make a template, let me template this, and then no one ever has to solve this problem again. Robots are people too. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm gonna build off what Chloe was talking about. Um, it, like you mentioned, Bob, 
how's AI going to play a role in this? AI is going to play a role in a lot of the repetitive tasks that we're trying to do, but when it comes to the actual act of creation, that's one thing that we can't replicate yet in the technology. Um, when it comes to actually coming up with a, you can tell you can tell an AI or a program to do something, but you you will always need somebody with the the vision and the creativity to come up with uh, what instructions to actually tell it to do and what to build. So uh, I think probably one of the most anti-fragile or like uh, hydro-like power that you can have is a creative power with coding in a mind that understands uh, coding and coding languages. Because once you start learning uh, programming languages, you think in a systematic, logical way, and you're able to dissect a problem and come up with solutions that you can break down in parts, and you have to figure out how to actually explain it properly because that's literally what you're doing with your code. You're, you're writing down an explanation in a different language of how to solve this problem. So um, I think that AI is going to definitely be a great tool for solving problems, but we're always going to need creative people with a vision to figure out what problems are the most important to solve and come up with like really interesting ways of solving it. And AI is just going to be essentially a tool to help us with implementing those solutions. And I think that that honestly, like, like when I say you're thinking about it all wrong, like this is one of those places where like, I think the language that we as technologists have settled on mm. does a disservice in that we call we call what we have now AI, and it is not. It is incredibly powerful computer assistance for our own thinking. It is it is perhaps IA intelligence augmentation, um, but I cannot leave an AI system to run my children. Therefore, it is not artificial intelligence, right? And so, like. That's why a lot of times when I talk about AI, I try to focus more in on the on the pieces of it, right? Like machine learning is a much more understandable concept. Like those machines are learning. They are they are picking up new knowledge, integrating it into the system and then using it to make new decisions. So it is a much more uh, clear abstraction of what's happening. But I just think the term AI and this concept of artificial intelligence is is a bad abstraction that is doing us no favors when, when we get to that point, when we actually manage to spawn some sort of technological sentience that can think on its own, like that is so much bigger, I think, than like we are wrapping our brains around the capacity of what that means for what we can do. And it's so far outside of, are you gonna automate writing code? Am I gonna make a robot that can make other robots? Like. At that point, we we hit the Star Trek future. Anything is possible. And that, that whole artificial general intelligence. And thank you guys both very much for like just diving. That was great. That really was. Um, the next thing I, I always try and ask our guests is, and you guys both touched on this really well, and thank you for the work you've been doing to help other people, is who helped you get started in this? Who do you, who helped you or on the other hand, maybe hurt you. You already kind of mentioned that, Chloe. You know, maybe if if not necessarily intentionally held you back, or did someone feel that way? Uh, women in women in engineering coding. Uh, we, next month's thing, we're talking just about women engineers. Um, 
how did that come about for you? How did that come about for you, Ryan? Did you find drawbacks to people tr trying to pigeonhole you or, or not, or who did help you instead of the same way? Because you guys both obviously are helping other people, so you're setting a good example now. Yeah, I was, I was super lucky. So um, back when I was in high school, I actively seeked out really good mentors who were already doing what I wanted to do. Um, and I didn't let like the traditional barriers of entry stop me. Like um, my first mentor who actually ended up becoming my boss for like, I think maybe, how long, maybe eight, not eight years, six years, six or seven years. Cause I worked with her from 2012 I'm still working with her now uh, on and off on like different projects, but like my first uh, connection with her was when I was in high school and I went, I, I discovered TED, TED videos, TEDx, uh, and TEDx, MIA and all that stuff. So I, I started binge watching TED videos and they were amazing. I was blown away and I'm like, all these people are absolutely amazing. I want to go to a TED event. And then I looked at the price for TED events and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't go to a TED event. <laughs> um, but that didn't stop me in my resourcefulness because I knew I wanted to be around amazing people who were doing great things in the world. So I found that there was a TEDx event that was going on and my brain was, oh, if they're doing an event, they're gonna need volunteers. I can volunteer. So I found the TEDx event and I found out that it was going on in Miami. At the time I was living in Broward, in Pembroke Pines actually. That's a, that's a very long way uh, when you don't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had to get really smart and resourceful. So I was uh, tapping and that suggests for like other people to do is to, to actively seek out your mentors and tap the resources that you have around you. Because I didn't have a car, but I had friends and I was very persuasive. So I was like, hey, I was talking to friends. I was like, hey, have you heard of like uh, TED videos and all this stuff? Have you watched them? And I had a couple friends who were like, yeah, they're amazing. And I had one friend, Eloy, and he was like, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, hey, they're actually setting up for an event down in Miami. Do you want to go volunteer for it and go there for free? And he's like, yeah, 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 of course. So then that's how I ended up getting my ride down there. And I remember my first time sitting in that room because uh, it was at the Asian Arts Center. And it was a huge meeting room. And everybody was sitting in chairs that were lined along the walls. And it's completely full of people. And then everybody started um, giving their... Uh, their little bio of who they are. So people were standing up, hi, I've worked at the Miami Herald for seven years. I'm a reporter and now I do you know, freelance work. Somebody else stands up, hi, uh, I'm an investor. I do a lot in the Miami community. Uh, somebody else stands up, oh, hi, I, I'm the founder of a nonprofit. I do a lot of work in Miami. I've been working here for about 20 years. Uh, somebody else, oh yeah, hey, I've been running my own business for the past 15 years. And then it gets all the way around to me. I'm like, hi, I'm Ryan. I'm the youngest person in this room and I'm in high school. <laughs> Uh, but it was amazing because I, I intentionally put myself in rooms where I was around people who were better than me and who were doing things that I wanted to do with my life. And what I ended up doing was I found my mentor who was one of the speakers at the event uh, and I ended up connecting with her. And then uh, over time, I wanted to find out how I could actually help her out. And I started working with her and she asked me some of the best questions that I could have ever been asked because she wanted to know 
what I wanted to do with my life and what I was personally passionate about. And then she put me in situations where I was uh, exercising those skills and watching her do the things that I wanted to do because I wanted to be a speaker. I wanted to work in the tech field. And because of being around her and other people like that, um, all the people that were around her ended up becoming my mentors as well. But I, I had to intentionally seek out those people because it's not like they were just going to fall in my lap and they weren't even in my city. So I had to like jump over all of these obstacles to get in front of the right people. But once I started building those relationships, those have paid off because those relationships have made me, uh, Lord knows how much money <laughs> now and how many connections, uh, but because I had her as a mentor, I'm here on this session today. I, I wouldn't have been here without her. So, uh, if you know what or have an idea of what you want to do, or even if you don't, actively seek out being in rooms with people who are smarter than you and latch on to people who are doing what you want to do. Because that that is like the key to getting uh, where you want to go in life is just copying somebody who's already done it. Yeah. Um, I used to say this thing, which is, uh, I strive to spend the rest of my life being a high school varsity player trying to play ball with Jordan. Like, I want to surround myself with the kind of people where I walk away at the end of the day and I have learned something about my hook shot every day, right? Like, if I'm not, I'm not growing because you rise to the level of the people around you. Um, and I think for me, that was really key, first of all. Um, in terms of people who helped me on my journey, I am literally on a panel talking to one of them right now, Bob. So thank you. Um, it sounds funny to say this, right? But like so many of the people who helped me on my journey at one point in my life were internet strangers who I met through fandom, who I met through my activism work, who I met through posting random BS questions about tech ethics because I think the industry is broken, right? Like I launched grenades on Twitter and the people who like them are simpatico with me and are people that I wanna talk to and surround myself with. And I think so much that like the key to getting, getting anywhere to, to moving out of where you are is to find people who are moving in a direction that you wanna move in and move there with them, right? Like, uh, there's a there's a famous aphorism that goes around frequently misattributed to all kinds of different cultural proverbs, but ultimately, right? If you would go fast, go alone. If you would go far, go together, right? And like, no matter where you are, no matter what you're working on, I feel like that is always a thing where even if what you're doing is just gathering up peer support and being like, hey, we are all struggling through this together. Let's struggle through it together, right? Like just pooling people together creates resources you didn't know you had because this person is good at you know one part of something and they can teach everyone about it. And then, hey, that person's brother took a class in this thing and has a textbook and now we can all learn from that textbook. And then you know, so-and-so's mom is selling a van for 50 bucks and now we've got a van and we can drive to Miami and see the TED Talks, right? Like, it's very much about, um, I read once that there was a study that people who consider themselves lucky are not actually lucky. They just keep their eyes open more. And like, that's what it's about, right? Like, 
I hate hustle culture because sometimes you really are just in a ditch you can't get out of on your own. But at the same time, like if you are not keeping your eyes open and being aware of the landscape around you, you are missing resources that you have. You're missing help you're going to get. You're missing the people out there who are going to call you and be like, hey, I think you'd be a great engineer and I'm not going to let you talk yourself out of this. Um, and then the other like piece of advice I have on that is, is show up to the table hungry. If you want to get fed, show up to the table hungry, right? Don't just be like, oh, I'm going to go be an engineer because it's going to make me a ton of money, but I'm not really passionate about it and I don't love it. What I'd really love to do for the rest of my life is be a professional bass fisher. If what would make you happy is being a professional bass fisher, don't try to make yourself become a coder. Like, go be hungry for bass fishing. But at the same time, if you're hungry for code, don't let people talk you out of that room. Stay there and be hungry and ask why, ask for help. And if they're not giving you a seat at that table, you turn around, you pull up a chair and you start a table of your own and you say, who's gonna come sit and eat with me? And that is how I moved ahead. That is how I advise everyone I know to move ahead. And uh, I think that's how you get anywhere really. That's awesome. Um, so you guys have both done this for a, a few years. Um, tell me what's a project twofold. One, what's a project you're really proud of? Something you, you were able to pull off, something new and different maybe, or maybe it was just fixing a problem that, that, you could, that they didn't know how to fix. And, and the other side, because we all know creations fail and we all have these holes we fall into sometimes and it's whether you're going to dig yourself out, like you said, or are you going to have to just give up and say, okay, we're going to walk away from this disaster and we'll never talk about it again. I'm asking you to talk about it again. Tell me one of those disasters and or, and I want to know one of the successes that you guys have had for doing those sorts of things. Oh, I love the disaster question. I love the disaster question because Etsy has a three armed sweater trophy that they give out to people who cause production issues. And I think this is magical. Like I want a three-armed sweater. So you said? No, that's Etsy. So Etsy, the, the, Etsy. Okay, I apologize. <clears throat> I want to make sure which company we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Etsy, the uh the marketplace, um, they've written a lot about their uh incident postmortem process. They've really revolutionized how much of tech considers postmortems. Um, and one of the things they have is this trophy for spectacular outages where they give out this three-armed sweater. Um and so this has inspired me to never be the kind of person who won't tell a story about how I failed. Like, I think your failures are interesting. That's the place you grow from. That's the place you learn from, right? And at the end of it, you had a three-arm sweater. Um, my favorite failure story to tell about myself, and I wish I had recorded this panel earlier, but I'm going to share it in the future with every student at my boot camp who comes to me for advice. Um, we had a capstone project that we had to do at the end of our classroom portion. We've been in classroom for five months. We've been working on the capstone now for almost a month. Three weeks into capstone with roughly five days to go before I had to lock my code and turn it in. I realized my project didn't work. My project was never going to work. My project was undeployable. And if I tried to deploy it, I could actually cause major problems in my account. Like. I could take out other apps that needed to stay standing. Um, so at eight o'clock on a Saturday, I 
renamed a repo and I posted uh, a gift Sorry, that you may be renamed a Renamed a repository, a code repository. Okay. This is um, my job is to make sure we, people understand. No, actually, I appreciate that. Uh, to explain for the audience at home who may not write code, um, code is stored just like any other work product um, in a thing that we call a repository because that is a place where you store things. Um, and if you have ever heard the name GitHub, many of us use GitHub as our code repositories. So it's like eight o'clock on a Saturday night. I have just renamed my GitHub repository. I refuse to delete it because there might be good code in there. I have never actually looked at it again. Uh, that's the pulling the door shut part. Um, and I went home and I had two ciders and I went to sleep because I had failed. Like I had utterly failed. And now I was going to have to stand on a stage in four days <laughs> and tell people about how I had failed. And I was going, like, I was committed. Like I was going to make a deck and I was going to do the whole thing. And I was going to deliver a speech about how I didn't have a project. And I was a hundred percent sure I was failing boot camp. Uh, Sunday, I got up and I texted a friend of mine in the program with me and she said, okay, what do you need? And in the next three days, I built a data management app from the ground up uh, with coffee drops from my friends and a lot of screaming into pillows when the AWS API is flaked out on me and I hit timeouts. And the thing that I remember most about this and the thing that I have carried forward is that by giving up when I did, I bought myself five days to finish the project. And if I had stayed committed to it, I could have stayed in that trench all the way to the day I had to make a slide deck and tell a story on stage about how I had failed. So what I have learned from this is that sometimes the wise decision is yes, light that garbage can on fire and move on like Angela Bassett from the burning car. Tell us, Ryan. That was a good one. That was good. And I think uh, <laughs> I'll light that garbage can on fire. Um, I'm going to, I guess, continue the sentiment that Chloe started with failures. Um, I don't ever, this is a really, uh, I guess, controversial thing for people who don't probably talk to a lot of successful people, but there is no actual such thing as failure. It only seems like failure at the time, but in hindsight, those things need to happen to get you to where you want to go to be successful. My, before you continue, I just, I, I'm a quotes person and my favorite quote on that is Thomas Edison. I will not give you 100 failed light bulbs. I will give you 100 light bulbs I have proven do not work. <laughs> That's a good, Edison quotes are amazing. So, um, when it comes to my probably my biggest failure and this is like one of my, my my biggest biggest ones i lost a six what was it i think it was like a a sixty thousand dollar contract and got myself fired <laughs> and it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me in my life so here's what happened um, we were, uh, I had been the party manager for like a few years 
and I was super burnt out. I was working on so many different projects, um, you know, working on trying to get myself a raise and all this other stuff because I wanted to make more money. I wanted to do a lot more. Um, and we were juggling so many different projects at once. And one of them was a three-way partnership between a university, a school, and another nonprofit. And they essentially brought us in and I had worked to essentially with my mentor, we pitched this, um, this really cool project where we were essentially gonna teach these kids um, the world of tech that exists around sports. Because when kids in school usually think about sports, they only think about playing on the field. We wanted to talk about all the tech jobs that exist outside of there. So they would start learning coding and all this other stuff, but they would learn about everything from like um, the media side of sports, where you could be a graphic designer doing the actual graphics and animation for these uh, shows. There's statistics. Um, there's esports where you can be an esports commentator, you can uh, be an esports competitor, or build uh, you know tournaments and all that stuff. Or you can decide to be um, uh, a media sports personality or a sports writer. Just going over and then of course videography and all these other tech-related things that you wouldn't necessarily think of unless you were in the actual field itself. So we were going to teach them coding, but explore all these career paths that they may have not thought of around sports. It's a really cool project, really awesome. The problem was trying to coordinate with so many different <laughs> people at once while literally like running other programs and uh, running a co-working space and then doing events and all this stuff. It's a lot. So they wanted to actually pull out of the project. And um, long story short, the students would be transported to um, the college and the college portion was taught by college professors. So I didn't necessarily have to be there, although it was important for me to just be there and coordinate and all that stuff, but I wasn't the one teaching. So I moved the day that we were doing the class. So I was moving into a brand new apartment with my girlfriend, had car troubles, and I wasn't able to make it to the class because it was literally like an hour and a half away from where I moved, like almost two hours away. And it was crazy because I had to take an Uber and that that didn't that didn't work. That, that was a, a painful mess and my phone died. So I wasn't able to communicate with anybody. So it was like literally worst case scenario, nightmare, this class going on these people want to pull out of this project i don't show up and i'm not able to communicate that to anybody and then the next day because i think this happened on a friday the next day saturday my day off um they want to pull out of the project and my my boss ends up like riding into them getting angry and like go, going to bat for me because she didn't know what i did and they're like no we're not doing it just because it was because ryan didn't show up and she, she couldn't believe it because I didn't communicate with her at the time. So then I got fired the day after I moved into a new place. And I remember going to my girlfriend for comfort because I would literally just moved into a new place and like, I just lost my job. So I'm like, I want, you know, a little comfort that everything's going to be okay. So I go to her and she tells me, if you don't find a way to make money, I'm going to leave you. 
So I'm like, oh, definitely not what I was expecting there. Um, so I took about um, a day off, two days off to cool off and like relax, get myself refocused. And I made the decision that I was like, I was already doing freelance work, uh, freelance tech and marketing work. And I learned all this stuff from working with like really big companies like Etsy and um, uh, Facebook and Uber and all this stuff with like really big marketing projects. And I could take these same principles and apply them for small businesses. So um, by Monday, I'd already reached out to somebody, started talking to a couple of potential clients, and I landed my first client and had my deposit on Monday. So I got fired, and two days later, I had my first client. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about that was I, I now knew that I could depend on myself um, to take care of myself, and that's how I started my business because I, I was literally jumping out of the plane without a parachute, and I needed to figure out how to fly on the way down. So I just started getting clients that I think within two weeks, I had another two clients and then it just kept going on from there. And I've, I've been running my own business ever since. And I would not have started my business had I not gotten myself fired. That is awesome. That's, that's yeah. actually one of the, uh, one of the phrases I use around here is I'm jumping off of cliffs and hoping a hang glider comes by or we're going to build it on the way down. So flying, flying is the art of falling and forgetting to hit the ground. So, you right. know, just don't hit the ground. We're fine. Yep. Mm -hmm. We're making just good. Yep. So you guys have both had some experience out there in the world, both as freelancers and as, you know, working for the big companies and doing this stuff. What is the one cool dream project you really wish you could get your hands on? What is the thing that you want to be able to do? Whether and something maybe that you can't do right now, but you would love to have a crack at it. Do you want to design that uh, software that flies the helicopter on Mars? Or what do you want to? There's a there's a quote from Chloe that I've used uh, in other presentations that I've done is don't ask me for the moon. Don't ask me for a rocket ship. Ask me for the moon and I'll figure out how to get you there. So this is your chance. What, what do you want to build? What rocket ship do you want to build? I mean, my moon is truly functional, decentralized social media. If I could put the freaking common square back in the hands of the common person, I, like there are so many problems to solve there and I wouldn't even know how to begin because like abuse would be the first thing I had to tackle. But like, it is repugnant to me as a, as a technologist, as a person who has the power to write code and do magic, it is repugnant to me that all of our town squares are monetized and are monetized for things that we might not want our eyeballs to be sold for. So if I could if I could build one thing, it would be functional, decentralized social media so that people could talk to people without having to have advertisements in the way. I want my old trillion back. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? What are you going to build? Uh, so mine is actually modeled, uh, and I'm actually in the process of building. My big thing is building a a repository, an online academy 
to equip people with the tools um, to understand how to freelance properly. Um, it, it's it's so weird because when when you have conversations with people in like the startup world or um, people who transition to tech, it's sort of like the unspoken rule that everybody just learns how to do freelance work, and nobody nobody talks about it. So like when people decide like, hey, I wanna I wanna make the transition to tech, um, you usually have to go somewhere like your traditional thought process is either I'm gonna go to school to learn it. Or I'm going to go to a boot camp and learn it. But usually boot camps, most people are like priced out of that. But to do some very basic stuff and actually start making money in tech, you don't need that much skill. Like to build websites for small businesses, it's super basic. Like you can learn how to do that in like a week <laughs> and start making money quickly. I, I remember my first projects that I did, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was getting paid to learn <laughs> <laughs> and I I would have personally done so much better if I had like a concise academy or place that had like a streamlined process um, with other people who are already doing it who could teach me and like help me along the way of figuring out how to do my pricing, about how to actually handle my invoices and my proposals, how to handle sales conversations, how to actually market and get clients. Uh, I was lucky enough that I already had a lot of people in my my ballpark to help me out because they were already doing similar stuff and I was basically just copying what they were doing. Um, but uh, I I want to build that for other people and make it like the international hub for people to actually learn those basic skills. And that's that's what I'm building with the project that I'm working on with the Broward County Libraries, the Built in Broward project. As a matter of fact, we actually have a class in like the next hour and a half. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll throw that up in just a minute. I got one more question for you guys both, though. I want to kind of tackle here because it's it's a weird thing for coding. And I think you guys you might have to explain yourselves a little bit better uh, when you're talking this portion of it. When I ask people, what's the best piece of gear you can get? What's the really cool thing? Like, what's this top-end video camera or still photography or or whatever it is for their crafting type of things? When that applies to coding, what's the best top of the line thing you want? Maybe you don't have it yet. Maybe you already have it and you just, is it a skill? Is it a piece of software? Is it a way of putting things together? What's the ultimate piece that you could use, do you think, for coding or for your brand of coding? Because that coding overall covers a lot of different stuff. So. See, we try and ask good questions around here. Um, to be honest, it's, it's for me, it's literally whatever is nearby and what applies to the situation. <laughs> because they're, they're, for for my particular brand of coding, especially when I, okay, here's something that I wish, not for me, but for most people. Um, there are really good softwares that simplify your process to make your, your website building process better. So, so this is for web design. And for most other areas like app design and game development, there are frameworks that make the process much easier and you don't have to learn it from scratch. So for web development, if you're building something that's supposed to be for e-commerce, I always suggest Shopify because Shopify is like the best. And if it's anything else that needs really good functionality, I suggest Webflow. Not enough people know about Webflow. It's like a beautiful medium between Squarespace and WordPress, where it has the functionality of WordPress, 
but also the simplicity uh, and beautiful templates like Squarespace. So you get the best of both worlds. You get the customizability and the uh, features, but you also get the security and safety of uh, you know, being on Squarespace. So Webflow, that's for that. If you're building uh, games, there are tons of different frameworks for doing that kind of stuff. So it's just a matter of um, uh, the, the best thing to have is just uh, a framework so that you can build your first projects as quickly as possible. Because you're going to learn way more from building something, even if it's something crappy, <laughs> than you will from uh, sitting around theorizing and watching YouTube videos forever. Build something crappy and then build something better afterwards. I was looking over to mine um, and I can't pull it on screen because there is work product on it. Um, but you can see the edge of the thing I'm going to say right over here on my camera, pointing at it is hard. There it is. There it is. Um, and it is so key to me that I literally have a second one right in front of me, which is my whiteboard. Um, and the reason for that is code is really cool. And like, if you can think in code, like, awesome. I'm super happy for you, but like, I can't actually think in code. And I can't, more importantly, I can't manipulate the ideas that I am trying to manipulate by thinking in code. I need to sort of see the structure of what I'm trying to do, and then I can write code for each of the individual pieces, snap it all together, and Bob's your uncle. Well, he's somebody's uncle, I think. Um, you, you've got some, some functioning programming. Um, so for me, a huge part of my process involves drawing pictures, uh, writing words down, like I'll write single, single words all the time just to like sort of key into a piece that I am putting in the back of my brain. But when I need to call it back up to the front, I can glance down and see, oh, right, that's the part of the system, recontext myself. Um, I leave myself notes all the time. So like at the end of the day, I will tell myself what I was doing erase it in the morning once I'm back on track. Um, and I will also, uh, IDEs, integrated development environments, which is where many engineers write code uh, because they give you a lot of these tools. So they'll have things like autocomplete for your languages. Um, but IDEs frequently have a thing in them called the debugger, which literally allows you to step through your code and see the state of your program at any given point. Um, I can be old school sometimes, so I will literally write those out on my whiteboard. Like I will write out and then literally do the, okay, this is the transformation that happens in this step and this is what the new results should be. Oh, that's where my problem is. I'm doing the wrong math. And the number of times- Do you digitize times, those afterwards or do you just keep them all uh, physical on the board? For the most part, I keep it physical on the board. Um, when I'm doing tutoring, I will do them on my iPad, like in a PDF. Oh no, I was thinking more I, along the lines of archive. I, this is the library. We archive things. So I'm thinking I, along the lines of I like never the do. Book stuff. Have you seen yeah, the rocket book? I never do archive. For me, that at some point I have to let it go, or I am too likely to try to come back to previous solutions and apply them to new problems. Um, so for me, a lot of it is a balance of like, how much of this is actually like learnable knowledge that I want to keep and how much of this was me just thinking out loud and I can throw it away. So I never fall into that trap again. Um, 
I've been a pack rat, like an information pack rat my whole life. My, I've run out of space on Google Drive more than once. Um, so my big challenge, I hate to say it because you're a librarian, but is Marie condoing my data and getting rid of, you know, stuff I don't need anymore. Um, Libraries read books because they are out of date information and we need to keep up with current. Yeah, this is what happens. But yeah, and um, and when I do want to save them frequently uh, in the same as when I'm doing tutoring, I use my iPad. I have uh, GoodNotes, one of my favorite apps, um, but it lets me make PDF notebooks. So I will, rather than take a photo, if I want to save it, I'll handwrite it again because that helps me retain the knowledge better. So it's just another chance to sort of cement whatever I've learned. And I have a whiteboard desktop for the same reason, and it has revolutionized my life. So this is the thing I'm pushing on people. I do a lot, I, when I used to do in-person uh, role-playing games, that's what I had for a tabletop. I had a big, able to write on it. We use the, the vinyl mats just all the time. So we can okay. write and do and leave it all out. Now that I do everything on a virtual tabletop, it's so much easier. But again, now I'm, yeah, my drive space is a mess too. Maybe could either of you guys design an app for me for that so that it cleans up my hard drive and it finds those files that I'm just, I know I saved it somewhere. Yeah. I have an app for that. It's called Hiring an Intern. Nice. I'll look into that one there. Thank you guys both very much for a really fun conversation today. Um, I hope that this was helpful for other people out there too, to, to learn and understand that coding is not math. The coding is being creative and trying to solve problems and figure things out that way. I do want to, I'm going to share my, uh, Chrome browser here. Cause both of these lovely people have sites out there in the world to do this, uh, femops.club. Uh, for Chloe here is where you can find how to get in touch with her out on Twitter, GitHub, as she mentioned, and things like that as we're going along. And when you come back here and look, she's got some cool little essays and songs that she's got buried from years ago on her site still that she hasn't taken off. And Ryan, uh, Ryan Hall, H-A-L-L, um, is actually part of the built-in Broward program. That's with Creation Station Business. Uh, the uh, place where you're going to come as an entrepreneur to learn how to build your business and do your things. And Ryan's been really helpful um, in working with the team there to do this huge year-long project. Um, tell us a little bit about that, Ryan. Uh, so this is uh, part of my big dream project. So um, we actually worked together with um, Sheldon on the Creation Station business team, brought together by the awesome uh, Bob here. <laughs> um, but we uh, we essentially submitted for a, a grant that came from Google. Um, we're one of 15 libraries out of like hundreds across the U.S. that applied. Um, we're one of 15, and our project is probably one of the most ambitious. Essentially, what we're doing is we're creating a freelance pipeline for the Broward ecosystem so that people who want to make the transition into tech um, get the like the skills to actually monetize their skills very quickly and make the decision to transition into tech, uh, stay as a freelancer and have it as a side hustle, or make the full transition into tech and decide that they want to go to like a boot camp and then end up, you know, scaling up to the point where you end up getting a job in the, the field. So uh, we specifically focus on getting people 
the skills that they need and the training that they need to build their own either side hustle or freelance business. So we partnered with General Assembly uh, for this project. General Assembly actually does regular workshops um, monthly uh, on Thursdays. Uh, we have several of them. Actually, our next one should be on Thursday if we scroll down. We actually, the calendar is on there of all the different workshops that we do right there. Next one coming up is personal branding for new entrepreneurs. Uh, that's a good one. So if you guys want to go to that, these uh, classes with General Assembly are usually around a few hundred dollars. So uh, everybody gets them for free as part of this project. So definitely check those out. And uh, we also have our freelance business incubator for people who want a little bit more of a hands-on process where we actually walk you through how to take those skills that you learn from those General Assembly classes and build a freelance business. Yeah, all for free at your library. Um, which is a wonderful thing. So thank you both very, very much for being here with us today. I want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to come back and see us. Um, these are always recorded, obviously, so they'll be up there on the site. Links to both Ryan and Chloe are there with the recording so that you'll be able to find their information there quick and easy to do that. Uh, if you have any questions, ideas, shoot them to me at creationstation at Broward.org, and I'll forward them along to Chloe or Ryan if you can't find out how to get in touch with them. Other than that, we do have our weekly series. That's every Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock for our Tech Talk Weekly that we record, and we will see you all then. Next month is our Women Engineers series.